um, want to say it is exciting to be back, looking forward to this year. We are looking forward essentially to this time in the book of Ruth. Uh, said before that this year as I was thinking through and praying through things, uh, where the Lord would take us, it took a little bit longer than it does normally to do so. Just asking for guidance, wisdom, and direction as we transitioned into a new year, wondering where we would be, what would be going on in our country, what would be going on in our community, etc., etc. And as I prayed, the Lord led me to speak to the book of Ruth. Um, we're going to be talking over the next eight weeks over a book that uh, has come very close to my heart, and I pray that it would bless you. The theme, essentially, or sort of the title of this series is God's goodness and grace in the midst of life's pain. What I'd like to do is, is I would like to start off by asking all of us just a very simple question. What do we do when bad things happen to good people like me. I don't know about you, but uh, through my life I feel very blessed. I've been very fortunate. But what I will tell you is, is that there have been times in my life where I've been doing the best that I can and bad things happen to good people. You're doing the best that you can and life happens. One of the things that uh, is important to recognize, and I think that that might sort of further our understanding, is this saying. Uh, it always rains the hardest on the people who deserve the sun. Does that resonate with your heart today? Some of you might be sitting here feeling uh, very alone, very hardened. Some of you might be saying, I'm doing the best that I can, and bad things just seem to be happening to good people. Now, uh, to help all of us understand so that we're all together, I think that we will all resonate with this next saying, which is, the moment when you dip your cookie in the milk for too long and it breaks off is the moment when you wonder why bad things happen to good people. Have bad things happened to you? Are bad things happening to you? Have you done the best that you can and essentially, to no fault of your own, things happen. Some of you might be here this morning, and you might be going through a challenging time. Some of you might have gone through a hard time. And some of you might be sitting here wondering when the hard time might end. Uh, often what we hear are stories of individuals who are doing the best that they can. And they're doing what they can for their family. And unfortunately, one of them uh, succumbs to a life-threatening illness. Some of you might be out there doing the best that you can, working as hard as you can, doing everything you can to provide for your family. But for whatever reason, due to the economy or perhaps maybe a change in structure, You've lost a job and are unable to provide. Some of you might be doing everything you can in a relationship, but for whatever reason, the other side of that relationship doesn't want to continue in a dance with you anymore. Some of you might be loving a child as best you can, doing everything you can to rear them to the best of your ability, but for whatever reason, they might go wayward or they might not want to be around you. Some of you might be sitting here hoping and praying for the opportunity for a family, 
wanting to rear children, wanting a desire to be able to have children and grow and to maybe experience grandchildren in the future, but to no fault of your own, there are challenges in having that blessing occur. Sometimes bad things can happen to good people. But this morning, the reason why I love the book of Ruth is we see a story of the sovereignty of God in which in the beginning a situation is challenging. It then becomes difficult and then it moves to desperate. And by all worldly standards, the logic of how to proceed is to move in one's own strength, to move in one's own ability to what is familiar and what is known. And yet, an individual, by no countenance of their own, moves forward in faith, takes action in trusting a God whom she just meets. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. We're going to take a few moments and essentially give a little bit of some background into what's going on so that we understand this story. Uh, the book itself is actually on the heels of Judges, and as we will look in a moment, uh, it starts off with, in the days when the Judges ruled. This is important to recognize because in the time of this book, essentially it's a very dark time for the people of God spiritually. Individuals who should be looking to God have essentially run after idols. They have moved in their own direction saying that what they feel is their need is sort of a temporal aspect. And so they've run after other gods. It's a challenge to the people of God. Uh, what we're going to see also here in a moment is the context that we are in is that the individuals whom have been spoken of or will be spoken of in this book are now worshiping a god named Baal or Baal, however you would like to pronounce that. Now, what we need to see and recognize is during this time, the Canaanites are a group of individuals that have come forward and God has said to the people of Israel that you are to essentially eradicate the land of the Canaanites for they are pagan. But what the people of God have done is that they have begun to integrate themselves with the Canaanites to the point where they are starting to worship Baal or Baal. Now, Baal, or Baal, however do you like to pronounce that, is known as a god of fertility. And this will become important when we see the discussion about the famine in the land. Baal is essentially a god whom the individuals worship through a variety of pagan ways, but the fertilization of the land is done through a female partner, the goddess Ashtoreth. By sexual union, mythologically, when these two come together, they fertilize the land. That's the setting that we find ourselves in. That's the story where we pick up in the book of Ruth. Again, if you're with me, I encourage you, we're going to read essentially chapter 1, the first kind of 19 and a half verses. In the days when the judges ruled... 
There was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahon and Kilion. They were Ephraphites, or Ephraphites, however you'd like to pronounce that, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the women went on until they came to Bethlehem. I love this story because there's so much that's going on as we look into a very challenging situation. Earlier I said that we will see a story of where a situation has gone from challenging uh, to desperate to essentially deep despair. One of the things that I think is important for us to recognize in this time is that a woman's security was based on her husband's ability to work and their wealth. For whatever reason, 
We don't know. There is some speculation as to why they moved. Some commentaries will say that it was a bad thing from, to, to move from the land of Judah, Bethlehem, to Moab. Others would say that, well, it was just a time where they needed to figure out what to do and they made a faithful decision to try and go and find work because they were experiencing a famine. But regardless of what that might be, we recognize that through the sovereignty of God, these individuals were called to a new land. Perhaps a better opportunity. Famine had struck, ironically, the land of Judah. And interestingly enough, there is sort of an aspect here that we need to recognize. It had gone all the way to the land of Bethlehem. Now, why is that important? Well, we look, and actually the word Bethlehem in Hebrew is Bethlehem, or the house of bread. So, ironically, or symbolically, the famine had become so bad that it began to encroach on the land of bread, or the house of bread, and of provision. Now, people will say that the reason for this, which is most true, is that God was essentially judging his people. God's people had essentially begun relationships with some of the Canaanites in their area, and God was purging them, or essentially rebuking them for their actions. This family decides essentially that it's time to move from Bethlehem and Judah, move to the land of Moab. If we look, this is about 50 miles away, which for us, we're like 50 miles. I mean, that's just basically from moving from here to Des Moines. But we have to recognize that in this day, that move was great for them. This would be moving to a foreign land. This would be moving from an area of what is known and comfortable to a land where things are greatly different. We could essentially talk about this, and this would be like us moving to South America or to the Middle East or to one of the countries in the Orient. We need to remember and realize that they're moving to a very different land. But they do so with the hope that perhaps things will be better. And that's where we see, particularly in the first five verses, and like we've talked before, that bad things happen to good people. These individuals are doing the best that they can. Uh, we recognize that Naomi is a God-fearing individual. She knows the Lord. Uh, they're doing what they can. We're not saying she's perfect. Can I look around and say that are any of us? But she is moving in a direction for God. And we pick up in the story and we recognize that because of the famine, they've moved to Moab. Things seem well. Things seem good. She is married, so she has security in her husband. And she has two sons, so she has security in her sons. And I need to address this because that's essentially the form of temporal security that she is resting on. It's a culture in which the male authority is essentially the provider for the female. Today's modern world, it's as if you're trusting in your hard work, you've got your 401ks, your stocks, your job, you've got money set aside, you've got all of these things laid out, and on paper, everything looks good. 
it's one of those times where you would say, you know, yeah, things could get bad, but they're going to have to be really bad before it affects me. And then it does. Bad news, bad things happen to Naomi. We read, essentially, that her husband, Elimelech, dies. Now, that's hard enough. That's tragic because obviously uh, the husband whom she loves, whom cares for her, is no longer present. And I don't want to belittle that. But in this story, we recognize that at the very least, okay, the husband is gone, but I can rely on my two sons. I have a fallback to these two sons. We're in a famine. We've left our land. We're now with the Moabites, of which these sons marry two Moabite women who will become sort of central to the story in just a moment, Orpah and Ruth. And so for whatever time we see, uh, they move and they do their thing. But then after 10 years, both Mahlon and Kilion also die. The backup funds, the rainy day fund, the security that was there has been entirely eradicated. Bad things happen to good people. You have to recognize that for Naomi, this was about as bad as it could get. There's no more security. There's no one that she can fall back on. There's no one there to provide for her or for her family. And she is in a foreign land where she can't essentially go to nieces, nephews, uncles, cousins, etc. What would we do? What would be our response? Some of us might say, it certainly couldn't happen to me. I feel bad for her, but... I've got too much security in the temporal aspects that I've got. I wonder if perhaps Naomi said that when she lost her husband. At least I have my two sons. I wonder what her response was when both of her sons died. We begin to glean that in these next couple of verses, which I think is important for us to look at and recognize. <coughs> We see that bad things happen to good people, and as we transfer into verses 16, or 6 through 15, when they do, we tend to cling to what is familiar and operate in our own strength. Isn't that how we always respond? When something comes to us that's bad, something that's unexpected, something that rocks our world, that changes the situation that we're in, what's our natural response? Honestly. Do we go, praise be to God, he'll see me through? Or do we turn and say, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do this. I need to rely on what I know, where I am, and what I have. And to no fault of our own, very logically, 
very reasonably, Naomi responds with what is familiar, what is comfortable, what is known. She operates in the beginning in her own strength. In verse 6, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, prepared to return home from there. Let's go back. Things are, are, are better. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to figure this out. We're going to go and see if we can do this. And then she thinks logically. She says, well, why, why should I drag you, Orpah, and you, Naomi, through my challenges? I'm old. I'm not most likely going to be married. And even if I am, it will take time for the marriage to produce sons, for them to grow, for, them, for you to marry them so that they might provide for you. The logical thing, the reasonable thing, is for you too to return to what is familiar, what is known. Stay in your land. Go find for yourselves some husbands so that they can take care of you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's logical. It's reasonable. Because she returns to what is familiar. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Go back to what you know. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and she said to her, We will go back with you to your people. It's interesting. There's this go back and then there's this response, no, we're going to stay. And oftentimes what I would say is, is that Orpah kind of gets the bad end of the stick in this deal. She just does what she knows. She actually is honoring her mother-in-law's request because her mother-in-law says no. She urges again, go back. Go back and find security elsewhere. And so interestingly enough, what we see through that urging is Orpah chooses to return. It's interesting too because the word Orpah actually means the back of the neck. Why is that important? Because symbolically what it represents is the turning away from and the visual back of the neck as one turns away from the face of another. Ruth on the other side is one of faithfulness and friendship. She has a very different response in which we will see the heart of the story about what is known as the hesed or the rabbinic blessing of the covenant faithfulness of God upon his people. Later in the story, we're going to be speaking of a kinsman redeemer. And that is where we find hope in Boaz, who becomes a character in the latter part of this story, but is representative of our kinsman redeemer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But at this time, 
at this moment, the decision of one is to operate in their own strength. Some of you uh, might have seen this in countryliving.com. It's a great quote. At the beginning, it sounds wonderful. I'd like to read it to you. It says, Be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. With the new day comes new strength and new thoughts and that generates new opportunities. Strength and growth only come through continuous effort and struggle. You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound inspirational? But it's entirely wrong. Because we tend to operate in the familiar. We tend to operate in our own strength. I can do this. I can figure it out. I'll go back to what I know. I'll rely on the resources that I have. I'll look to others to supply for me. I'll do this. I'll do that. And we leave God aside. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? God, I've got it. I'll figure it out. Get out of the way. There's nothing wrong about being strong. There's nothing wrong about moving forward. I want to be very careful when I talk about this and we look at Ruth's response. What I don't want to say this morning is that if you're in a challenging situation, that you just sit there and do nothing and just say, okay, hopefully God will figure it out. You need to act. But foundationally behind this, what I think is important is, is that you lay the foundation of faith and trust in God first. And then you move forward in faith and trust as God directs your actions. We continue on and we recognize in verse 11 it says, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Interesting. She's gone from daughters-in-law to my daughters. She's moved in wording to a deeper connection. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, again. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought, very logical. I mean, come on guys, like let's look at our situation. Even if I thought that I could get married right now, today, it would take time for us to bear children. We don't even know if they would be male. By the time they grow up, by the time they could be your husbands, are you really willing to wait to do that? It makes no sense. Go, go back. Go find for yourself a husband in Moab to care for you. At this, they wept again. And at this time, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. 
back of the neck and turns away. But Ruth. But Ruth clung to her. The heroine, for lack of a better word, of the story is Ruth. I want to be very careful. The true hero in this book is God. But it's interesting because as we watch this, God remains silent in the situation, yet his fingerprints and his sovereignty are all over the story. Are any of you out there right now feeling like Orpah or Naomi or Ruth, wondering where God is? I pray that this story would bless you and remind you that his hand is all over your story. But Ruth clung to her. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, and when they do, we tend to cling to what is familiar and operate in our own strength. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. This is your last opportunity. What are you doing? Go back with her. There's no, nothing wrong. I give you my blessing. Go while you still can. We come to the next point of this message, which we see in verses 16 through 19. Yet by faith and in trust, we should cling to the Lord. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. One of the most beautiful sayings in Scripture. Recognize who Ruth is. She's a Moabite. She is someone who is wholly opposite of the people of Israel. The Moabite God is Kamosh. It sounds almost like Klingon, if you really want to throw that out there. Interestingly enough, Kamosh is even worse than Baal or Baal. He's actually seen as an abomination by God. And I just hope I didn't open that. What are you doing? This is crazy. This is absolutely unfamiliar, illogical. It's not going to work. Remember, too, that Ruth's situation isn't much better because she, too, has lost her husband, her provider. The easiest path, the path of least resistance, the most 
obvious thing to do is to return to what is familiar and to trust and act in your own strength and find a husband in Moab. I've told you, and there goes Orpah, and she is leaving, and it will soon be too late for you. Don't do what you're going to do, because I have no idea how it's going to work out. Has anybody ever been in that situation? I have no idea, God, what you're going to do. Logically, as I look around, everything points that I should act in my own strength and go this direction. Follow Orpah. Turn my neck and go back to what is familiar. And I love this because don't miss this, but Ruth clung to Naomi. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I don't want to read too much into the text, but I think this is kind of a neat thing to think about. The turning aspect in some commentaries talk essentially about the act of repentance, turning essentially away from, to, and clinging to God. But, Ruth, I'm going to leave my people. I'm going to cling to you, and where you go, I will stay. And your people, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to act. I'm going to go completely away from what I know and what is familiar into a land that in right now looks Desperate, destitute, and destroyed. You're crazy. But, Ruth. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there, there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you, Naomi. We're going to go through this, and I'm going to have your people be my people, and your God be my God. I don't know it. I don't understand it, but I'm stepping out in faith, and I'm trusting, and I'm acting. And you know what? I recognize that it looks completely illogical and completely non-familiar. But I trust. Has anyone ever experienced a Ruth moment? And has the story of God demonstrated that indeed he is faithful? Lovingly, don't let go of those things. Hold on to them. Because oftentimes in our walk with God, we are called to move to the unfamiliar to discover the true familiarity of our Savior. When there is nothing left of us is when we experience the wholeness of God. 
When there is nothing left of what we know, when there is nothing left of what we have, when there is nothing left of what we can go back to, is when we discover the fullness and the provision of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lovingly, what we see in this story is the complete unexpected blessing of God. As we see later on, the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, come forward and provide for them in an abundant way. But it takes the action of trust in faith for the Lord to demonstrate his true faithfulness to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. Sometimes, actions of faith and trust what God calls us to so that we might experience him fully. We continue on and interestingly enough, uh, whoops, this flipped over here, excuse me. When Naomi realized, verse 18, that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And that's where we stop in our story this morning. Do we operate in the familiar? Do we operate in our own strength? Do we look logically in situations before we actually go to God? Say, Lord, I'm not sure. I don't want to overemphasize this because to be honest with you I believe that Ruth's situation is far more or was far more desperate than our current situation in the church but I'm going to be transparent and tell you that as we look to 2021 as we look to what has transpired with COVID and some of the changes that we've endured and we look forward to 2021 and how we do ministry I have thoughts I have ideas but honestly, there are times when I'm like, God, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what's going to occur. Are things going to get better? Are we going to go to further lockdown? I don't know. But rather than trying to figure it out on my own and in my own strength, I'm going to rely on you and your people to lead us on what we need to do day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. We're going to plan our direction. We're going to look for guidance in you, but we're going to trust that you are going to determine our steps. And I'm not going to try to operate in my own strength. We're going to allow you to work through us. Somewhat of a similar feeling that was felt essentially in the April, May, June time frame when COVID started to kind of rear its head. But what I want to tell you is this. I'm amazed at the faithfulness of God to this church family. And I don't want to elevate ourselves over any other church. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm amazed at how God has provided for us through last year. I've told you before, I don't want to go too long on this, but one of my biggest fears was when things started to go bad, I said, how in the world are we going to be able to provide for our missionaries? Because generally speaking, generally speaking, when things go bad, the sort of first thing that goes is your missions funding. That's just kind of an adage out there. 
How are we going to provide for them? They are relying on us. And praise God, thank you for you and all of that, the funding that was received was like astronomical. God provided abundantly and blessingly. As we look to what was familiar and then allowed God to bring the unfamiliar. Some of you this morning might be in a situation where you are in a Ruth, Naomi, Orpah moment. My encouragement to you is this. Look to God and trust in Him. I want to be transparent and say that the situation just doesn't automatically change. It's not like, boom, it immediately gets better. There's a lot of time in this story. But continue to trust Continue to go to God and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I trust in your hand. And when logic, when logic seems illogical, is when God is at his greatest. Trust him in what he's doing in your life. This statement by Jonathan Edwards is important because oftentimes what we do in our situations is, is, like I've said before, we cling to what is known. We cling to what is familiar. And yet I think he so eloquently states the exact opposite. Uh, this statement was made essentially in the works of Jonathan Edwards. It comes out of volume seven, 17, Sermons and Discourses. And I hope it blesses your heart today. It says, The enjoyment of God... The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. I want to pause there. I'm not going to go too far off script, but what do we see in our world right now? So many people trying to have their souls satisfied by so much other things. I don't want to sound legalistic. I don't want to be all preachy, etc., etc., but I do want to just cry out to all of you and say that this statement is so true. If you are looking for true happiness, true peace, true blessing, true courage, true faith, true hope, may your soul be satisfied in God and God alone. To go to heaven, fully to enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. That's a bold statement. You know, it's funny. I, I feel very fortunate and very blessed. We live in a beautiful area. I uh, have a wonderful family. We're healthy for now. Praise God for it. I love my family and I hope, and like I said, I pray that I grow old and you all know the joke behind it. I hope I'm 100 years old, ripping down the hobacks at Jackson Hole and I launch off a cliff and God just takes me into glory. But there are days when I just go, Jesus, I, oh my gosh, I just want to wrap my arms around you. Take me now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands and wives or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but enjoyment of God is the substance. 
These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are the streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. What do we do when bad things happen to good people like me? Whether we like it or not, I wish that I could tell you that that's not the case, but we all recognize that bad things can and do happen to good people. And oftentimes, that when they do, we tend to cling to what is familiar and operate in our own strength. Yet as we see in Ruth, as we look to our faith in Christ, we are called by faith and in trust to cling to the Lord. Wrap your arms around him. Trust him, even though what might be in front of you looks entirely unfamiliar and unknown. He will not leave you nor forsake you. I promise that. We will see that later on in this story, as I've said before, through Boaz, who becomes the kinsman redeemer, which is essentially the archetype, sort of the man who resonates our true kinsman redeemer, which is God. Take home truth. This is what I want to summarize with. This is what I'd like to leave you with this morning is that when bad things happen to good people like you or me, my prayer and my encouragement is, is to let go of the familiar and operating in your own strength and cling to God. To trust Him and to go to Him. Recognize that as Ruth does so, there's still action that needs to be done. There is still time in which God might seem far away. But as we go through the story, as we look through what happens, we recognize again that the fingerprints in the hand of God are all over Ruth and those whom trust in him. And if God's fingerprints and hands are all over those in the book who trust in him, God's fingerprints and hands are all over those of you who trust in him. May he be your guide. May he be your encouragement. May he bring you joy during this time of unfamiliarity. <laughs>